0: Welcome to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. Today's message is Colossians 3 by Pastor Terry King. A couple of weeks ago, one of the ladies in our church called Deb Klein stood around about here, I think it was, and uh, she started prophesying to us and she said just simply, but it profoundly affected me, I can assure you, she said words to this effect that a tsunami was going to come. A tsunami is coming. Well, I'm standing over there and I'm thinking, tsunami? You know, like you get visions of what happened at Fukushima in Japan and anywhere else, and it was devastating. It was, it was overwhelming. It was just a powerful thing. And, and uh, so she stood there and she said, what's well, coming, be prepared for it. So anyway, I, during the course of the week, During my devotional times, and I came across a verse in Ephesians chapter one, verse three, a book, um, a verse that I really, really love. And um, we had done in our life group uh, the whole book of Ephesians for the year. It took us that long to get through it. We sort of looked at every full stop, we looked at every i that was dotted, a t that was crossed, etc., etc. But we really, really enjoyed the book of Ephesians. And so I got to that verse in, in, in Ephesians 1, verse 3. and But during the week, I got troubled, I, nicely troubled, if I could say it. I was nicely troubled. I'm thinking, what does Deb mean? You know, like, did anyone else ever think about it? I, I went home and I'm going, what sort of a tsunami? Is this a judgment tsunami? Is it a persecution tsunami? And it troubled me, and it troubled me in a nice way. And I just, well, I'm going to text Deb. So I decided to text her. and I said, Deb, what did you mean by that? What sort of a tsunami it was? And her immediate reply was, a tsunami of blessing. Whew, I thought, what a relief. you know? Like, At least it was not something that's condemning or, or going to be judgmental or it's going to be persecution. Not that we're not going to have that, but mark my words, that will happen and is happening. But it's a tsunami of blessing. This is really not my sermon, but I just wanted to share this with you because it really blessed me as God started to reveal what he said to me was the blessing. If we look at Ephesians chapter 1, if you go to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3, just open your Bible and have a look at that because it says here, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. I just want to read that again because somehow it's just got to impregnate us with, with that understanding that something is some, is really profound here. Blessing, or Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Now, if you think that all the spiritual blessings are all materialistic, you know, your Mercedes-Benz is just going to drop out of the sky like dollars will from... Etc., or there will be other things, you know, that you think could be material type of blessings. I don't sense that that is what Paul is saying here. He's actually saying that there, these are the blessings. Let's look at what those spiritual blessings are. The spiritual blessings in, in Ephesians follow on. He chose us, He, God, chose us. Now, that's a blessing. After what Pastor Sean was sharing this morning, you know, like, you know, our lives were not probably good before we became Christ, uh, uh, Christ followers or Christians, and and so He chose us. He chose us. God chose us. In verse four and verse five, it says that He adopted us. He took us in. He said, "You're mine. I'm going to look after you." Another spiritual blessing. In verse six, it says that He freely bestowed on us in the beloved, the glory of his grace. He bestowed that upon us. In verse 7, another spiritual blessing, it says, in him we have redemption through what? Through his blood, hallelujah. Do I raise a few amens this morning? Yeah, come on. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, hallelujah, come on and according to the riches of his grace. I like verse 8. I don't know whether your translation has this, but my translation says, which he lavished on us. My, my mother-in-law was loved cream. If she was going to put cream on, she lavished it on. She lavished it on anything that she could possibly put cream on. And I often used to think about that. And I thought, you know, God just puts it on us, you know. And he lavishes us with his love and with his grace. I want you to understand how incredible these spiritual blessings are that God has given us. And then in verse 9, he said he, he made his mystery of his will to us. I mean, he could have kept it to himself if he wanted to. But how incredible. He blessed us with that amazing privilege of... The majesty, the mystery of his will is provided to us. He said in verse 11, he provided an inheritance to us. An inheritance. That's not just a few dollars. I mean, it's lavished upon us from, the, from God himself, from heaven itself. In verse 13, it says he provided the uh, Holy Spirit for us. Hallelujah, <laughs> Hallelujah all right, good. That's it, I'm, you're waking up now, that's perfect. And so he provided the Holy Spirit to us and then he pledged him to us in verse 14. And, and that word pledge actually means engagement ring. It was like an engagement ring. And, uh, you know, like uh, when I did that for Lynn, I said, look, I'm pledging myself to you, I'm going to marry you. Nearly 50 years later, oh, that's so nice, yeah. And uh, so, yeah, so nearly 50 years next January. And uh, so our pledge is, it was a good pledge. I'm pleased that we did what we did. And so he, he, he pledged such a lot to us. He said, look, I'm going to marry you eventually. We'll all be in heaven in the banquet. And then in verse uh, 12, 14 and 17, he wants to glory over us. Oh, wow, hallelujah, you know. That's incredible. That reminded me of a, of a lady that used to be in my church at Aladulla. Oh, I said it. Hallelujah. <laughs> uh, a lady in my church in Aladulla. And uh, she was a Dutch lady. And um, Mrs. Diekhaus, her name was. And, and anyway, she used to live in New Zealand. And, and uh, she used to come back with stories about the glory of God, just sort of just coming down into churches. And Pastor Peter Morrow was a pastor over in New Zealand. And she used to go to his church. And one day she shared a story with us. She said, "Pastor Terry, she said when I was there, um, that that the glory just fell in the church. It just fell, and it was just over the whole church. And she said she started walking because the invitation was given: come forward and just come under that anointing, come under that glory of God. And and anyway, she she started walking towards it, and she stopped. She couldn't go any further." And did you know how she got down to the front? (laughs) I tried to imagine it, but she got down on her hands and knees because she said the glory had come down, so far down, like it just dropped. And she said the only way she could get to the altar to go and give what she wanted and to receive, she actually crawled on her hands and knees, get to the glory, it was so overpowering, she could not stand. Yes, are you waiting for that? <laughs> Amen. And we can't conjure it up. We just can't snap a finger and it'll all be here. But I tell you what, start start believing for it. God hasn't finished with us yet as a church. Amen. Amen. Well, that wasn't my sermon. But however, <laughs> I just thought I wanted to share. So Deb, I hope that was helpful to you even to realize that I wasn't saying that I've, I've just got the, you know, the, the interpretation of it. Please don't think that. But I did get an interpretation, and I wanted to share it with you because I sort of felt that so many times we don't understand what those spiritual blessings are. This is what they are. In following on to what that verse is. Now, I would like you to turn to the book of, of Colossians, and uh, <clears throat> we're going to look at verse three today. Uh, chapter three. Sorry not verse 3, chapter 3. So first of all, I just want to explain a little bit about Colossi. I've not been to Colossi at all, but Lynn and I did have the privilege of being able to fly into into Istanbul and we stayed a couple of days in Turkey. And where Colossi is, it's actually in the lower part of modern Turkey. And uh, for those of you who may have been to, to Turkey... You, yeah, okay, so in Istanbul, there's the European side and then there's the Asian side. And the Bosphorus is this great mound of water that is where all the boats and all the fishermen are, etc., etc. And so you've got that side of, of, uh, of uh, Europe and that side is Asia. It's quite striking, actually. And um, it was such an intense city. It was the most amazing city. And my sister and her husband were actually going to go down and do a tour around... Turkey. We didn't have the time to, we had to get back. And uh, so they went round. But my sister and her husband, who they weren't, you know, you know, deep spiritual people, but they were so affected by what they saw in, in Ephesus and in Colossae and Cappadocia and all that area where God's work was so profound. And uh, Coloss- Col- the Colossae was one of those places. And so it's in Asia Minor, it's in, in modern Turkey, it's in the lower part, it's, on the, near the, it's just up from the coast. And it's inland, but it could be actually reached from Miletus, which is on the coast, and you would then go up rivers uh, called the Meander and also the River Lycius. There were three cities that were actually together. There was Laodicea, then there was Herapolis, and then there was Colossi, quite profoundly big cities at that point of time. And so, when was this actually written? So, the date was around about 62 or 63 AD. This epistle was actually addressed to Colossi, to the Christians at Colossi, by Paul, who was in prison at the time. And uh, he, I, I just imagined that, you know, like that, his whole life was so different because he took on the character of Jesus Christ, I'm sure, in that jail. And that would be the way that he would have lived his life. And so when he was imprisoned, he wrote this letter around about 62, 63 AD. And the book of Colossians was actually intended not just for them, but also for reading by other churches as well. And one of those churches was in chapter 4, verse 16 of the same book. And it says that send it on to the Laodiceans and let them read the letter and then receive the letter back from them, etc., etc. Now it's 2023. It's now 2023. Well, that's mind blowing, isn't it? I mean, you know, it's almost halfway through it. I mean, has this year gone fast or has it? No, it has gone fast. Right. Even in Tasmania, you from Tasmania? Oh, Tasmania, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Got away from the cold. What was that? Got away from the cold. I bet you did too, yeah. It's not a bad day today, is it? Yeah, that's good. You're going to take some of it back with you? Uh, not, exactly. not exactly. Okay, oh well. <laughs> but anyway, it's 2023. And uh, the letter of Paul to the Ephesians, to the Colossians, to the Philippians, etc., etc., for us today. And if there's any time we need to read these is today. Any time it's right now. We have got to read these letters. Let's just fill our hearts and fill our minds with that which is in these words, because we need to have these words so powerfully at work in our life. Pastor Sean has. Has has led this church to a place where we are positioning ourselves, and I, I and a part of the leadership as well. I'm not denying any of them the, the the you know the knowledge that they have helped, and so we have we are wanting to position this church so that when and how it all breaks out in front of us, that we're not going to wilt. We're not going to stand back. We are not going to to fall into some despair or whatever or whatever, but that we will be positioning ourselves so that we stand firm just like these people that were informed at Colossae. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. yeah. And so I can't, I can't live without the word of God. <laughs> it, it's become so much more precious as time has gone on and, and like, I'm in my early 70s now and, and, and I sort of think that, that um, you know, it's got better. I feel my life has got better. I really, I really enjoy myself. I enjoy what God does. I, 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 I know that there's so much out there that is not going to be pleasant. I've got grandchildren that you, and most of us, have, you know, got some relative that we concern ourselves about. But however, I just want to just want to uh, encourage you today that don't wilt, don't. And I like there's been some great songs this morning. I mean, it's, it's almost like as though you and I got together and we never did. Uh, and I'll refer to one of them very shortly. So. Both these letters represent the highest and the fullest concept of Christianity. If there's any book in the Bible, and you sort of think, oh, the Bible's all about God, but in the New Testament, this book, Ephesians, and also the book of Colossians, are and represent the highest, fullest concept of Christianity. If you just want to read about Christianity and how to live as a Christian, Ephesians, Colossians, and Philippians are great books. I mean, it's great to be able to read Matthew, Mark and Luke and John and to get an understanding. But I tell you what, if you want something to grab hold of, bite into, get involved in, these are the books. Let them just really just speak to our hearts. And such a summary of the vast reach of God's purpose is found nowhere else in all of the scriptures other than in these two books here. So talking about purpose... This letter was primarily written to the people at Colossi because there was an actual danger of a mixed mixture of false teaching i mean we're not we 're alert to what is happening out there now, all the lies, all the stuff that is being uh, spoken to us and that we have to they expect us to believe you know like we can 't afford to believe it, and so we have to be people that turn to the word of God we have to. Is that the word of God? Is this what it means? Is this is how we're going to live? We've got to do that. I mean, we can't just live um, thinking that the the, the world is going to, to help us. It's not going to help us. If anything, it's going to put us in real danger. And so there was a real danger of false teaching. It came from a mixture of Judaism. It also came from a mixture of Orientalism. And so there was, you could understand some of that culture that was in Colossi, and that it infiltrated into Colossi from, from the, uh, from the uh, uh, Holy Land area, the Mediterranean down, and then also from the Oriental part, from the Asian part. This took the form of exclusive intellectualism. It was based on speculation. It was also working within two extremes, asceticism and then sensuality. And there was this mixture and this mess that was in the church. And Paul was writing into that situation, into those circumstances. The plan, the general structure of this letter is, this, is much the same as the letters that were being written by Paul. They open with a personal element. If you start reading them, you would just get this lovely greeting. You sort of wish, I, you know, those sort of grandmother letters that you used to get when you were grandchildren. You know, they were always just such lovely, warm-hearted, and no different with Paul. He would open with the personal element. He would also develop a doctrinal section within the the, the 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 letter that he would write, and then he would just. Say, well, look, we've done that now. Now we've got to have a practical application. Practically apply that which you have been given doctrinally. And then he closes with a personal section of love and kisses. Not quite really like that, but however. He was then affectionate again. So there was this drawing in, this this place where he would position you so that you would just receive, you understood like, well, how would you like to receive a letter from, you know, Like if you're in Ephesus and by verse 3 you were saying and to being told that blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Yes, that's for me. You know, I would be really quite excited. And so the principle behind this is there's there's no doubt that the the dominating thought of this letter is the all-sufficiency of Jesus Christ. The all-sufficiency of Christ. If you are having struggles with his authenticity and with him, please seek some help, seek some prayer, seek some, go to the word of God, you really can find the the, the fullness of God's truth found within the scriptures here. This one talks about the all-sufficiency of Christ. There's no one else other than him that you need. No one else. No one else. And we scramble to try and get help from every which angle. I'm not saying you, but I'm saying out there, they, we scramble to try and get as much help as we can. And that's where the, where the problems arise. We get so much stuff that it does your head in. There are three great phrases in this letter. In chapter 1, verse 18... It says that in all things that he might have the preeminence. Is this happening in your life at this point? Is Christ preeminent in your life? In chapter 2, verse 9, it says in him, referring to Christ, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In chapter 3, verse of Colossians, verse 11. Christ is all and in all. Christ is all and in all. So now let's have a little look at this practice of the Christian life. In chapters 3, verses 1 to 4, you could read more, but I'll only do verses 1 to 4 today. It starts off with the word if. It almost implies that that, well, if you are, if you are, but it's not really that. It's not a an if that goes that way. It's an if that, in view of being raised up with Christ, it's not, could be, it's since this has happened, since this has happened, you have been raised up with Christ. Now that that, that has happened, you are to seek the things that are above. I I, I really had to... Had to uh, think this through very deeply because, you know, I I would never try to get up here and say that I've perfected this. You know, like, look at this face. You can just, But I haven't perfected this. But I am enjoying the fact that I, I don't have to perfect it in my own strength, but I perfect my life through Christ himself. So if I've been raised up with Christ, it tells me that I have to keep seeking the things that are above. I think some of us, and I have seen this in my own churches in the past, that some people will say, th- oh, well, fantastic, I'm a Christian now. And, and But you see that they have this foot in one camp and the foot in another, and they have this this walk that is sort of pretty good and then all of a sudden it's low and, it's, and those things happen i know they still happen even to me, myself sometimes but but that but, but some of some people are just not encouraged to actually start and continue to seek the things that are above if there's any time now that's what we've got to be doing we've got to seek the things that are above where christ is the verse says we keep seeking who used to play hide and seek when they were kids? Oh, no one wants to admit it. But however, I loved hide and seek. I used to love playing it. I had six other cousins. So my mum and my uncle and um, <clears throat> and then um, they had six. We had two, and we used to play a lot. We used to have hide and seek. We used to love hide and seek on Nana and pa, Pop's uh, t- you know property, etc. And 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 we really did work it at hiding you know so the seeking part was not just oh there you are you know we really had to seek now that sounds like a childish type of a a thing but keep seeking where's your vision at this point where are you looking at what are you looking at where are you seeking how to live I question myself about it. I have to challenge myself. Where am I seeking? And the Bible is fairly clear that it is that we are to seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of of God. And so Paul is saying here, I assume that you understand what the resurrection is all about, he's saying to the Colossians. And by what he's saying, he's declaring that it is a fact. That Christians were raised spiritually when Christ was raised physically. That he granted us a spiritual position. That's, that's phenomenal to me. <laughs> that he positions us and he's given us a position that we're seated with him in Christ Jesus. This resurrection at various verses or chapters reveal five things to me. One is is that it is the proof of our acceptance of Christ's death and our acceptance of him. Are you this morning struggling with that? Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour? Is there a struggle that is going on inside you? It's a faith thing. It's a trust thing. I gave my my life to Christ when I was about 10 and I, I, I knew and knew and knew that it was a decision that would last me for as long as it has. There's proof of our acceptance. It is to be a pattern of our holy life. It's all set out here. You know, like if we're trying to figure out how to live a Christian life... We really can't go and find all the self-help books. Please don't. That'll confuse you. It'll put you into bondage. It'll do a whole lot of stuff. But if you go to the word of God, it is truth. It is life. It is liberating. And it will bring you into a newness of life and a position that you are just so excited about, honestly. It is also the power for Christian character and service. I thank God that one day, even as a Baptist pastor, that God baptized us in the Holy Spirit Hallelujah. and set us into a new direction on a new path as pastors. And uh, and so that power—I never knew what the power was before that. I thought I just had to just be dry, you know, through my Christian life. No way. Anyway. So the fourth thing is that it contains the promise of our own physical resurrection. Who's going to be up there with Jesus? I am. Yes, amen. And it is the pledge of our life hereafter. I know where I'm going and I know what is going to happen up there. Hallelujah. (laughs) Amen. Okay, so the realisation... On account of our union with the living Christ, we are called to do two things. The first one I said before is to seek those things which are above. And then it says in verse 2, set your minds on the things above. Not only seeking, looking, trying to see what the word tells you about how to live, but we are to set our mind. You know, like when we are given something that is an instruction or a or a word or a, uh, a verse or whatever, an understanding... We need to set our mind on it. If we know that it's truth, set your mind on it. It'll take you into amazing places as a Christian. Amazing places. Set your mind on the things that are above. And the word mind here includes the entire personality and the bent of our, uh, of our inner nature. So what's the reason behind this? So since... Christ is now in heaven, seated on the right hand of God, and we are invited with him in his death and resurrection, our life must of necessity be hid with Christ in God. Must be hid. Now I'm going to just show you something this morning. I have a little illustration. I just wanted to let you know that I bought a cut lunch. I just thought, you know, I could just have a little bite while you're still sitting here and I'm here till about 1.30. 1.30. But however, I, I no, I didn't really bring a cut lunch. But I, I, I asked Lynn, I said, what have we got in the, you know, the pantry? We found this. This is what I wanted to share with you and especially in relation to this verse where it says you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Okay, so what I've got here is this one here. Now this little canister, little compartment thing, is representing your life and my life. This is my life. And this life was, talk about my life, it was, I didn't really, really live a reckless life, but <laughs> however, what I'm trying to say is that my life, I was abandoned to myself. I, I didn't live according to God's word. I just lived life according to me. I mean, we often hear Pastor Sean talking about how he lived, and what God has done and transpired in that man's life. I mean, goodness me. And this is what our life is like. just goes all over the place. No direction, nothing. But then one day we're confronted with the Gospel. We're confronted with the Word of God. We understand that what is being said about God, about Jesus, about the Holy Spirit, about the Word of God is true. And then as soon as we become a Christian, what God's intent is for you is that you be hid. We're going to go into there. And then this one represents Jesus Christ. So what it helps you and I to believe in is that being hid is that it means we are permanently hidden. Permanently hidden. And that includes secrecy and safety. And I know this might sound a similar illustration and it probably looks a bit daggy in one sense, but it really it spoke to me. I, I just thought how do I express this, you know? And I I came up with I I must admit, um uh, Louis Giglio, he preached something on something similar to this and it impressed me. And I just kept on thinking, now that my life is hidden there now. That's where your life is. It's hidden. It's it's protected, it's kept. And then I just thought, well, I'll have the third, because then that represents God and then Jesus and then me in here. And when God looks at me. And you, he sees Jesus. He sees Jesus. We're hidden. We're in there. <laughs> it's all right. Uh, you're too kind. <laughs> but it's amazing what an illustration can do. Hey, <laughs> yeah. And I love it. And I, I, I had it on my. Um, it coffee table in the lounge when I was sort of going over my sermon last night and I kept on looking at it because it was such a profound thing to me to realise that where Christ has positioned me, where he's put me, where he is protecting me and where he's keeping me. This is a deep spiritual truth, people. I hope you go home today just knowing where you are and how God has kept you and how he's positioned you and he's protecting you. The revelation is in verse 4. We are so identified with him that not only is our life hidden with him, but he becomes our very life. He becomes our very life. We are to live by him, which is the means. We are to live in him, which is the union. We are to live to him, which is our service and our incentive. I can't stop, I've got to keep on doing things for God. You know, I have that incentive. It's, 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 I, I don't pull back now because I'm getting older and I'm sort of going to retire and blah, blah, blah. You know, like my incentive now is to keep on going forward and, and, and to, to have that, that uh, to live to him. And that we are, to, <laughs> we are to, to live with him, which is fellowship, which is fellowship. And that's when the manifestation of Christ occurs. When Christ comes back, we are to be manifested with him in glory. And this is to be the crown and the culmination of our Christian life, the coming of our Lord and our coming with him. Are you waiting for that? Are you anticipating that? I am. Yes, hallelujah. So just to recap, what a wonderful opportunity just to read for all verses. And I ask you to actually and the time won't allow me today, but I'd ask you to go right through till the end of the chapter or almost to the end of the chapter. I was looking at at, uh, an article which was written by Charles Spurgeon about this chapter, and Charles Spurgeon said it starts off with heaven in chapter 3. If you have a look at chapter 3 of Colossians, it starts off in heaven where you are seated. Don't forget, where are you seated? In the heavenly places. And then it's, it says it ends up in the kitchen. And I thought, the kitchen? And then you have a look at it and it's verse 18. Wives, be subject to your husbands as fitting in the Lord. Uh, husbands, love your wives. Da, da, da. And I thought, what an interesting way of sort of saying, there it is, you started in heaven, but right now you're in the kitchen. So our, we, we need to really build on our union with Christ. We need to then follow that our... Life is hidden with Christ Then, lastly, the assurance is given of our future manifestation with him. I just want to say to you today that we are to take into account as belonging to us everything that Christ has done and is and then live in the power of those blessed spiritual realities. We can't afford to live any other way. We cannot afford to. We sang earlier Could be God. Quick, (laughs) somebody's got their phone on. Okay, so it's a good. We are taking. We must take into account that we belong. That when we belong to Christ, that everything that He has done for us is ours. We need to live in the power of that blessed spiritual reality. We sang earlier, Christ is enough for me. Everything I need. Everything. What is it? Everything. Say it again. Everything. everything. I would hope that when you leave today that that's where you position yourself. I'm, I, I believe that I can receive all this. It's mine. And when we do, we shall find liberty, we shall find victory. And any attack that comes upon us, Christ's own victory will be ours and we shall be more than conquerors. The remainder of that little song that we sang this morning, I have decided to follow Jesus. This morning I encourage you to continue to follow Jesus. Follow him. Trust him. And the verse then, or the song goes on and says, no turning back. No turning back. Make that determined decision, I pray, in your life now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Rock Christian Church Podcast. To be notified when the next episode is available, subscribe on our website